Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at bkcwest.com. We've been walking through a study in Genesis. If you've been here with us previous weeks, we're taking a break for two weeks uh, with the idea of come and see. So come and see next week is come and see the empty tomb. Come and see the resurrection. Come and see the new life that you have in Jesus. And this week, it's, it's come and see the cross. Come and see and look into this moment of the cross. Uh, rightfully so, the symbol, if someone were to think of Jesus or Christianity, is the cross, right? Everywhere you see the cross. And so that defines everything, that moment of the cross. It's, it's really the center of all history. And so today also, too, is Palm Sunday, and it's, it's what we call the triumphant entry because it was prophesied and foretold for, for many years that the Messiah would come, and you can actually work it out uh, calendar-wise to the exact day, and Jesus was the only one that showed up on that hill right in Jerusalem, lowly as a, as a king. And he was, he was praised, he was worshiped, he was cheered on that day, on this Sunday, but going into Holy Week, we want to fast forward today to Friday because it's not often that someone, when they get power, when they have momentum, that they give it all up. You see, I, I think the rest of us, if we were riding in that day, we'd have said, all right, let's seize upon this. We've, we've got things moving in our direction. Let's make this happen. We have the power. We have the control. We have the hearts and minds of the people so different than any leader that we see now, right? That's how they do it. But Jesus says, I'm going to lay it all down. And so just five days later, he would give himself up to be crucified, uh, not as a victim, but intentionally to lay his life down for a purpose. And so why the cross? Why not just take control and do it that way versus this way? Well, let's read. And we're going to read not through all of chapter 27 of Matthew, but a, a good portion and what's happened up to this point before we read is that Jesus has been arrested. He's been brought back and forth between ruling people. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he's been uh, called names. He's all sorts of things. He's, uh, it, you know, he's, uh, there's a tradition of letting go a criminal at this time of year. And, and it's between Jesus and this guy that's like the worst of worst criminals. And, and, and they declare hey, no, we want the worst of worst criminals to be released, but this Jesus, who they couldn't prove did anything, let him be crucified. And so that's where we step into the story. So it says in verse uh, 26, if you have a Bible or app, and it'll also be up here on the screen. It says, so Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with, with a lead-tipped whip then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. And they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews." And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. Along the way, they came across a man named Simon who was from Cyrene. And the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus's cross. And they went out to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. 
The soldiers gave Jesus wine mixed with bitter gall, but when he had tasted it, he refused to drink it. After they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above Jesus' head announcing the charge against him. It read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests, the teachers of the religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself, so he is king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, and we will believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now, if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. About three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God. Why have you for abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook rocks split apart and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. They said, this man truly was the son of God. So why the cross? When we read it that way, we see the extent of what Jesus went through. Sometimes we can just fast forward through the details and just say, so Jesus died on a cross, but absolutely every part of his being, his wholeness, his, his emotions, um, his feelings, physically, mentally, socially, were stressed. That he chose to lay down his life. So he had the people, couldn't he just have taken over? Why lay down everything? Well, Jesus came to right the wrong that was done. And this was the way that God chose that he would make things right, to restore relationship between people and God. Because he knew that if he just took over and just started dictating, that relationship wouldn't be restored. There was business that had to be taken care of. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So we understand this relational divide on a human level. Uh, one of the most tangible losses of the last couple of years is, is relational distance, right? Um, on a basic level that we can't see each other's faces when we had to wear masks, uh, you know, and, and, and still, we are still there, right? Uh, people, uh, you know, it, it's, people are still with, with conditions and are uncomfortable, like still have to do that. And so we're still in that place. 
And then two, we have that we can't go and be with people. We can't go and be near people. Uh, you know, I know for myself, a lot of our family lives uh, on the West Coast. And so for us, you know, we, if we couldn't travel and if we pick things up, like we, we couldn't see. And in the midst of that, for our family, we had, we had deaths of loved ones. And so it just made it harder with that. Uh, some of the most touching moments now uh, that you see are people that m- maybe have relatives on another continent. And, and now, because of the way things are opening up, they're seeing each other. They hadn't seen each other in, in years and years. And so we understand the, the relational loss. Uh, it affected our families, it affected our businesses, our schools, our churches. So we've experienced that distance. And, you know, the relational separation is brutal, isn't it? You know, just, just kind of walking through that, just lots of loss. So we've been walking through Genesis, and Genesis starts with God creating everything and everything's good. And it's not just good because he's the greatest designer ever, but it's good because everything relates to each other and relates to him in the way that he designed it to be. And so relationships were good. But the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, ruptured that by choosing to define what was good and bad upon their own knowledge and wisdom. And so we've been walking through Genesis and we just see that through relationships, just broken and broken and broken and broken. And we see God chasing after and bringing humankind to him time and time again. We just see this tender heart of God that he wants to be in relationship with people, even though they keep rejecting, they keep going after that. And we see the depravity of, of, of human beings that we're just stuck in this cycle of sin. And where we're at in Genesis is we see God chooses a a family and then a people that ultimately he would bring his promise through, his promise to make things right between people. The fast forwarding of that, what we just read is Jesus Christ, that Jesus would be the one that did that. But in between, God had to set up a system for sin to be dealt with. For him to be in relationship with people, sin had to be dealt with. And you know, sometimes you, you might look at it and say, well, gosh, is, is God high maintenance? I mean, he's God. Can't he just choose to deal with this? And well, you have to understand that God is, is holy. So he's set apart. He's completely holy. Like sin cannot be in his presence. And, and one way to look at it is, is God is, is the brightest light, like brighter than the brightest star, brighter than the brightest sun. And if you're to bring any darkness within light, there's no battle. Light always wins. And so you bring the greatest darkness to the brightest light, light will just absolutely obliterate all darkness. And so so it is with sin. And so sin has to be dealt with so that God could be in the presence of these people. So God set up a system of sacrifice for his people. And so the Israelites would end up in a rhythm of annual and daily and weekly ways of of a of atoning for their sin or dealing with their sin. And uh, we look at this and we may think it's odd. They would, they would sacrifice animals. They would burn things. They would do all kinds. I mean, it's, it's, it's super interesting. You know, campers and hunters, you're like, I, all right, I'm in. You know, this is, this is good. But how does the secular world deal with this? We do this too, like trying to make things right. Like in the secular world, 
uh, it's, it's policies. If, if we just make this policy, like politicians say, if we can just make this policy, then everything's going to be right. Or if we just have initiatives, then if we make this initiative and everybody does this, then we're going to be good. Or the problem is education. If we just teach people the way they're supposed to be, then they'll be educated and things will be right. Or if we can just give people enough money, then if everybody has money, then everybody's going to be right. Or something that's big is conformity. Everybody conform to this way. Everybody conform to this way. This is the way you have to believe. This is how you have to do it. And so you lose your identity in the midst of it. And you say to yourself, well, well Cody, if, if sacrifice is just like done with the right heart, couldn't that work? Or initiatives and policies and education and, and you know, really pulling in is done with all of your heart, couldn't that be enough? The problem is we leak, right? We get good enough and we walk through, and, but then we, we, we repeat things over and over again. That's what we've seen in scripture. That's what we see in our lives. And so this, this, this ocean of sin, you just can't hold it back. And I grew up, I'm from California. We moved out here four years ago. And so I grew up on the coast. And so many times as a young boy, we'd go to this town called Morro Bay and Pismo Beach, these beaches around the central coast of California. And, and I would love to build, uh, as the tide would start to come in, I would love to build like uh, moats and structures for the water to kind of route the water different ways and build castles and all sorts of things and pits for the water to go around. And and it never failed that I would build these places if the tide was rising. And for a bit, it would kind of route it and then I could kind of control it. But every time as the tide rose, it just overtook what I had built. And it was just washed away. And the only way that I could actually restore that again would be I would have to wait for the tide to go back out again if I wanted to build in the same place. That's how it was for Israel in sacrificing over and over again in trying to go after sin. And really what they were doing was they were attempting to atone for sin. And they would, and God accepted it, but it was just repeated and repeated and repeated, just like me building sand, that water would just wash it away every time. Sin would do that to their relationship with God. So the word atonement, a lot of times you can read it and see it as a negative. Like, oh, you've got to atone for this. Like that's usually when it's spoken of. But it's actually a beautiful word. All it is, is it's, it's a word put together. It's three words put together. It's actually at one mint. That's actually the meaning, is, is it's at one mint. The word actually means the bringing together of two into one. And so the atonement is the bringing together of humankind with God into one. Now, humans do not become God, but they are in relationship with God in the way that God intended, like in the beginning, that they would relate to him and to one another. That's what atonement is. And so this whole time, this system of walking through this and the, the people of Israel walking, sacrificing, what they're trying to do is they're trying to be one with God, but they have to just, it's like on a treadmill, they just have to keep going and going and going. So the rhythm of sacrifices and festivals operates to this day from thousands of years ago within Judaism. Now the high holy day of, of Judaism to this day still is Yom Kippur. Kippur means ransom or, or payment. And so the day of atonement is described in Leviticus 16. 
And uh, there's lots of different pieces in there. Uh, and it's spoken to Aaron, uh, the high priest, and this is how you're supposed to do this. In walking into the temple, at this time they didn't have a temple, they had a tabernacle actually, and they're out in the wilderness. And he describes to him about how once a year, he is to, he's to go in and to just, uh, he's to absolutely just cleanse this, this place of worship where the mercy seat is and, and where the, 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 the sacrifices are made, where the ark is. You know, this place, they're supposed to just cleanse this once a year and cleanse it from the sin of the people of Israel. And the way that they would do this, amongst other sacrifices, I'm cutting out some pieces, you can read it, but they, he would, they were to take two uh, goats and uh, they would take lots to decide which goat would be which. And, and one goat would be sacrificed and the blood of that goat would be uh, th- uh, gruesome, right? Um, but it would be thrown all over the place and, and put all over um, the, the places that worship happens and the sacrifices happen just to, just to cleanse all the sin of the people of Israel. And again, going back to God is complete light, complete, complete holiness. There can't be any sin in his, in his sight and his presence. Now, you say, what about the other goat? Well, the other goat, the priest would lay his hand on the head of the other goat and the sins of Israel would be transferred to that goat and then that goat would be called the scapegoat. And the scapegoat would be sent out to, to wilderness as far as you can go, that the, that the sins of the people would be sent away from themselves and sent away from God, that they would not be there anymore. And so this process was there, and this is, this is told by God to, to Moses in Leviticus 16, verse 34, the last verse of that chapter. It says, this is a permanent law for you to purify the people of Israel from their sins, making them right with the Lord once each year. Moses followed all these instructions exactly as the Lord had commanded him. And so you have this system that's happening and God gave the day of atonement so that people would feel welcomed by God, that they would feel like their sin was covered, that they would feel like they were accepted, that they would feel like they were forgiven and, and because they, they were but the repetitiveness, there was also other things that they had to do year round and festivals and different other sacrifices to keep right and, 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 and walking through and cleansing. And you look at this and say, how can you keep this up? Like, how can you keep this up with the tide of sin coming in every day over and over again? And you may feel that in your own life, right? Um, I mean, on a basic level, like you try to change something, you try to change your finances or you try to change your you know, your physical health or, you know, and like, I'm going to do this, you know, and then it's hard, right? It's hard changing the things of your life that, that you've gotten into habits and things. And, but then you get down to the areas of sin, like doing things in a different way than what God has called them to do. That's, that's hard to do and actually impossible. It's actually impossible. And the New Testament writers point out at this, that what God was doing was showing how impossible this was. It's not that actually you were supposed to like set out and do this and nail this exactly right, but it was showing the futility of this and putting it on pause and so that you could have relationship and, and really putting a band-aid on it over and over again, but the wound is still there leading up to the person of Christ. Because God had a promise of making things right and it just wouldn't come this way. 
So the good news is, is that at one has happened. That we're not waiting for anything. Now the hard thing is, is people like myself haven't shared that clear enough, I don't think. And I don't know why. But at one has happened, like you today, if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, and that he died and rose again from the grave, and you trust him with salvation in your life, if you trust in that, then you are at one with God and becoming at one with God. There's not any other process or walking through. There's no managing of sin. I, I heard something recently, and it was in a Christian article. So it was all about like this great sermon that a pastor gave, and, and uh, you know, People critique my sermons too, so it's okay. So, so, but, and it was all about like managing sin. You know, and if you've got this and you need to do this, you got this. And, and the problem with that is, is the New Testament doesn't speak to that. The New Testament shows a picture of people desperately seeking after the person of Jesus Christ. And that's where all of the focus is. It's not about managing this thing. Sin has been dealt with. Sin has been atoned for. And so you change your focus to Jesus. So the atonement happened in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 7.27 says, unlike those other high priests, so the high priest going in time and time again, year after year, day after day, week after week, making atonement for sins, unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people but Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for people's sins. So it took the way that Jesus did it, the way that Jesus paid for this once for all, it's done. And you say to yourself, well, then how do I relate to God in the midst of this? It's not going to sacrifice. It's not going to temple. It's not going to tabernacle. It's not going to these rituals. It's going to Jesus over and over and over again. All of relationship with God has been centralized in the person of Jesus. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, God's love is the spring that all of this flows out of. Because you say, why would God do this? What is the cause of this? John 3, 16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And then also Romans 5, 8, it says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we are still sinners. Do you see how the foreshadowing of the Old Testament sacrificial system points towards what Jesus does here? And then also too, you say to yourself, so you're talking about salvation, Cody. Absolutely. And salvation really is being saved. You ask yourself, what are you being saved from? Well, I'm being saved from my sins. Absolutely. But the Bible really breaks things down and it puts into neater compartments than we think. The ultimate way that, of what we're really saved from is we are saved from trying to save ourselves. Like your greatest sin that you've ever done or my greatest sin that I've ever done is not like, that's not the big thing. Those are a symptom of the problem. You see, 
Adam and Eve, what did they do? They referenced God differently. They said, I'm going to define myself and define what is good and bad myself instead of God. And so you reference yourself. Now we're in this perpetual state of trying to make things right. I'm trying to make myself right with people, the horizontal relationship, and trying to make myself right with people, with God, the vertical relationship. And I can try that my whole life. And some of us are better than others, but it would be like this. If we all took a trip to California and we got right down to San Diego, right in the you know, the point there in, in Point Loma, there's this beautiful place. All right, let's all swim to Hawaii. Some of us would get past the breakers. Some of us would get in, it's cold. Some of us would get, you know, maybe out to like, you know, there's some islands out. There. I, I don't know how strong a swimmer I, but, but not one would make it. So it is trying to save ourselves. We need someone to do it from outside of us. And so, the Bible speaks of a righteousness being made right with God and right with other people that's not of ourselves, but from God himself. And so Philippians 3.9, it says, I no longer count on my own righteousness. This is Paul speaking through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And so I put all of my focus on being right on that of Christ. And the Bible actually speaks of it, Paul writes in Corinthians, uh, he, said, he actually says that, that, that Jesus became sin, like the scapegoat, sins put on the scapegoat and he goes away. Jesus became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus takes his sin upon himself and atones and makes us at one with God. But what do we get? We get the righteousness of Christ. Because Christ lived a perfect life. Because you see, that's what had to happen. That's why we can't do it. You see, if we try to get in the same realm with God and try to make things right with God, we can't do it. We are not equals with God. Because for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And so someone equal with God had to do it. Well, there's only one equal with God. That's God. And so God sent God the Son, and he could do it so that it could be accepted. And so he lived a perfect life. If you think about it, what's interesting is that they call it the hypostatic union, that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man in one body, in one person. Isn't that atonement at one minute? Is that God and man were joined together forever in one person? And so not, a, not only is it an activity that we go to, but we see it in a person. So the atonement happens not just in the death, but it happens in the life, the perfect life. And then next week we see how it happens in the resurrection. Romans 5.19 says, because one person disobeyed God, so speaking of Adam and Eve, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be, be made righteous. So Jesus, part of the atonement is making right what was made wrong. You see this ripple throughout all time and you look and say, why are we all messed up? Why is this happening? Because of the choices of one rippled all throughout. And I know you can look at it and say, come on. Well, I don't know. What, what, I mean, what's, your, what's your definition of what's wrong? This one's been around for quite a long time and it shows true. And then also too, you look at this and you say, well, that's, that's terribly, you know, that's terribly, like that, that pushes people outside. That's exclusive. 
that Jesus is the one way. If there's one way, isn't that inclusive? It's inclusive if you have one way because it's easy to find. And so God says, I'm going to make it real clear. All things lead to Jesus. And so there's much discussion about like, you can read like just Google theories of atonement. There's like four, maybe five, depending on what you think, like main theories of atonement. Like, and then there's the idea of extent of it. Does it go to all people or does it just go to certain people? There's all sorts of ideas that people geek out on and books write about those things. And, and, and it's really exhausting. And it's fun to walk through. But at the end of the day, the atonement, making man and God one again, is that huge. That people can come at it from all sorts of different directions and pick it apart and find the components. And you'll look at it and you'll say, well, yeah, is it this? Yeah, Jesus did that. Is it this? Yes, Jesus did that. Is it this? Yes, Jesus did that. Well, what about this? Did it do this? Yes, Jesus did that. The atonement is that big, is that Jesus did all of these things so that we would be right. Some of the New Testament words, there's four main ones in the New Testament used for the atonement. There's the word of sacrifice. That Jesus was our sacrifice. There's the word of propitiation. There's the word of reconciliation. And there's the word of redemption in ransom. That we were so locked in our sin, that we were so locked, that we were so taken captive by our sin, taken captive by our flesh and the enemy, that we needed to be rescued. I, I, I personally really identify with that one. You know, I, um, I did lots of things. You know, as a teen and walking through as I met Jesus and things. But what's interesting is, is that I didn't view all of them like in the way, like have God's perspective. And so when I came to Jesus, I said, wow, you know, you, God, you really rescued me. Thank you for your love and your grace that you've forgiven me. But then as I've walked with him longer and I look back, I'm like, ooh, uh. And I don't beat myself up on it. I'm just like, wow, what a rescue you've made. And we can feel like that in our lives. We can feel stuck. And it's not just like on a religious sense, but it's also our relationships. Like what William brought up, he talked about relationships and a friend that, that think God did things right and he thought there was no hope. And, and, and so it works out into every area of our lives, financially, relationally, uh, you know, health-wise, everything. This, this work of the at-one-ment filters through everything in our lives. And it's like uh, one of my sons went to a dance last night and so a week ago, we went and got a tuxedo for him. And we had heard what the price was at this place that we went, what the tuxedo would be. And so, and we're like, wow, you know, those have really gone up since we, you know, got married or dances and that sort of thing. And so, and so we walk in there and, and I'm just like, wow, really that much? So we go in and, and there was this employee. I mean, um, they were just, they were hardcore. Just like, this is what you get, da, 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 da. And, and I walked in late because I was parking the car. And so... There's two employees, one was talking, one wasn't. And so they said, yep, here's the package that we have, da, 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 it's this much, but we give you $50 off and it ends up being this much. And it was like $100 more than what we heard. And I said, wow, so that's everything that you have. That's everything that we have. Get measured, get, because there's tons of people. Get, go, go, go. It was just like this. You know, you ever feel like that from a person? You're like, thanks for the choices. You know, what are we doing here? 
and you feel like you're just, there's no, you, this is what you have to do. This person was very persuasive. I actually would hire them if I was wanting to sell something. <laughs> I, I really would because they would be successful. And they were. Every other person I watched just bought it, bought it, bought it, bought it. And, and, but they had this little picture, and I like to cause problems sometimes. And so I just said, I said, so you're telling me all these different tuxes right here are all that same price. We only have one price. And I said, what about this one? Oh, that one's $99.99, whereas the other one was like $250. I said, what do you mean? You said it was one price. She goes, well, that one's this. And she walked away because she's like, oh, we got a live one. They ask questions, you know? <laughs> but, and so I told her, and I, we got set free. Like, there was no choice. We got set free, right? Because relationally, we walked through it. But I asked her, I said, so we get like a cummerbund and everything with that? And she just looked, oh, what? And so they don't, you know, they don't do those anymore. So, um, they, you know, like, she, she's like, I'm sure we can dig one up from out back, you know, if you want. But, um, and so my son's like, oh, dad, go away. So that's really what happened. They said, now you go away. We'll deal with the looks. And, and you, you helped us save money. But so what do we do with this? Like, practically, other than knowing that atonement means at one minute that this has happened, what do we do with this in our lives? One is we're set free, like we talked about. Like, we don't, we're not stuck with one thing, that there's one path. We can feel that way. You may feel that way in your life right now. There's one path. You know, you may say to even people in your life that ask for you to improve, you say, well, this is just me. Take it or leave it. You know, this, my dad was this way. My grandpa was this way. This way we are. Bull jive. Seriously. Seriously, the power of the cross of Jesus Christ has power to change even me, even you. And so it's not only for us, but it's for the people in our lives and our relationships as well. So, so what do we do with the cross? Well, here's, here's why we need to know this, is that with the atonement, we have a change of address. We actually don't show up to the same place anymore. Uh, it's like you go on vacation and you're like, I'm not coming home, right? You go to the beach or someplace, and I, I'm not coming home. With the atonement of Jesus Christ, it's true. You don't have to come home. You go on vacation, and that's where you camp out. I mean, you do normal life, you do those things, but you camp out. You don't have to go home anymore. You get to be in this place where things are at one with God and with other people, and that's where it goes. We change our narratives in our lives, the stories that we tell ourselves, the meaning, because we are at one with God. It's been done. I'm not chasing anything. I'm not asking God to do anything. He's already done it. I'm being at one with him in relationship with him. What really matters is different in my life. So the target of my life now becomes Jesus. Not a religion. Not performing but the person of Jesus. You see, Christians, what they do is they adopt an indirect life. The atonement, what we're talking about, did you do it? Did I do it? No, Jesus did it. So how are we made right? How are we forgiven? We go to Jesus and he did it. It's indirect. And that's not just for being saved. That's just not for being rescued, but that's how we're to now live our lives. So now we live an indirect life of being a student a follower of Jesus. You see, and what I meant earlier about people like me is that somehow we haven't made this clear enough. Somehow there's a lot of people that are Christians, that are in Christian churches, that are practicing a religion, that are almost functioning back in this sacrificial system of managing sin over and over again. 
Whereas sin has been dealt with and I'm to actually change my target, which is now it's indirectly as I go to Jesus. So in life, Christian, and if you're not a believer yet, you're listening in about what it means to follow Jesus, hear this. Don't get muddied in the waters of something else. Hear this from the beginning is that the target, the goal, the focus, the seeking that I live and breathe for as a Christian is Jesus. He is my goal. He is my focus. He is what I go after. He is my main pursuit. I go after Jesus. I seek to know him, to walk with him, to be loved by him, to, 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 to do life with him, to learn from him, to be like him. That's what I do. Focused on Jesus, goals and performing and effort and working on stuff and fixing stuff, even fixing and working on yourself. Don't do that. Go to Jesus and you say, well, I need to be more patient, my spouse tells me. I need to be more this, my friend tells me. I need to be more this. Well, guess what? Jesus is that perfectly. So go be with him and learn from him and you will become that. That's the way that it is. You know, what do we do? What happens if we don't do this? Well, if you're a person practicing the Christian religion, you will be frustrated. You'll be frustrated because you have the car of your dreams, but you only get to push it. You never get to get in and ride. Because you're around the activity of Jesus, you're around the things, but you're just walking through these things and you'll experience some growth, some working through, but you'll have it. It's like planting seed, but never getting to be able to partake of the harvest. You're in the activity, but you're not having it. And so there is a difference. If all of this was accomplished, we were made right with God through one person, then I'm to seek him and set my face towards him. And so seek after him. Be desperate for him. Know him. Talk to him. Read his word. Go after him above everything else in your life. And Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all other things will be added unto you. In other words, it's like a wake of a boat that that boat goes and the wake goes behind it and everything else gets wrapped in. You say, well, what about? Yes, that gets wrapped in. Well, what about? Yes, that gets wrapped in. But make Jesus your singular focus of your life. Seek after him. Start by saying, hi, it's me. You don't need me or anybody else or your mommy or your daddy or your grandfather or anybody else. There's no family plans. You're to know him personally. See here, we're not trying to wrap you up into a a system to wrap you up and to do something for us or anything else. We are trying to have you know Jesus personally. The God of the universe personally that you would know that you don't have to know, you don't have to go through anybody else to him. There's no intermediary the New Testament speaks of between man and woman and God. So go to Jesus. The good news is he's already ready. He's already at the door, waiting for you. Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com.